Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Paychecks Business Series podcast. I'm your host, Gene Marks. Thank you so much for joining me. You know, um, as, you, as you're as you aware, I write in a lot of different places, anywhere from The Hill to The Guardian to The Washington Times, Philadelphia Inquirer every week. I also write in Forbes uh, every week as well, actually six times a month, and I cover technology for small business for Forbes. So um, this week's uh, episode is something near and dear to my heart. It has to do with security. It also has to do specifically uh, with the security issues that we all should be aware of uh, when working from home as business owners and things we want to do to protect ourselves. So I've got a lot of questions for our guest. Our guest is Rick McElroy. Rick is going to be talking to us about all of the different things that are uh, we need to be aware of. And uh, Rick, let me let, let me pull you on right now and introduce you. Uh, say hello to the fans. Hey, everyone. Gene, thanks for having me. Um, Super happy to be here to talk to uh, small business owners. It's a it's a passion of mine, and uh, so I'm I'm glad that you're uh, you're focused for for that group of uh, business owners. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, I mean we we we're all you know burdened with a lot of different things that we know and don't know. Security is one of the things that are obviously a huge huge issue facing small businesses around the country. Rick, you are the principal cybersecurity strategist at VMware. So question number one is what exactly is VMware? And question number two is, what the heck does it mean when you say you're a principal cybersecurity strategist? So go. Great question. Yeah, so so VMware, um, I think most famously pioneered the technology behind the cloud. Uh, so the ability to take uh, multiple servers and run those as virtualized infrastructures, right? So when we looked at the explosive growth of the cloud and all of those things, uh, predominantly, um, that's where VMware started, but they haven't rested on their laurels. Uh, subsequent to that, they've added you know, um, um, software as a service around networking. Um, they 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 handle you know thinning out the attack service through things like Workspace One, uh, but virtual desktop offerings, and then of course um, uh, what we came on board to do, which is really I, I think provide better security outcomes for VMware's customers and uh, more broadly organizations. Got it. Yeah, I remember VMware back in the day. I mean, just hey, Rick, just so you know, like so I run like a technology consulting firm out of Philly, and we do mostly like CRM applications, but I've been doing this for like 25 years, and uh, back in the days with like Goldmine and ACT, if I can you know, date myself, and uh, VMware was like a big part of it. I mean, virtualization, uh, because a lot of people were sick of synchronizing data, so they wanted, you know, virtual access to their systems, and, um, you know, people were, you know, are you a VMware shop, are you a Microsoft shop, are you, you know, you know, these were all different, um, different options that people had. Um, so you do you you do security. So you know, what is, I mean when you say principal cybersecurity strategist, that's like a fairly broad title. So it do is. you specialize in anything specific? Um, I think I do. I mean, one of the big passions I had, um, and specifically why I came over to Carbon Black, is really around um, this idea of proactive security and threat hunting, right? And so so when you looked at um, Sort of where we were as an industry, you know, this idea um, that you can you can buy a piece of technology and have an alert, and that alert is meaningful um, and actually stops breaches, uh, simply hasn't proven to be the case. Um, and so we believe in um, the broadest coverage of visibility possible. So when we speak about security, what we're actually talking about is being able to turn the lights on so that when the attackers are inside of your house, they breach the perimeters of your uh, of your home or your apartment building case may be, they actually know where they are and you know the appropriate responses to that. You know, from a human perspective, if this happened in the real world, um, well, we'd turn our lights on if it was the middle of the night 
we call law enforcement and or, you know, use some sort of weapon at our bedside to protect ourselves. Uh, but organizations aren't set up that way. Right. And, and so I think I, I really came here to uh, lead and champion the efforts around getting proactive and actually taking the infrastructure that the adversaries have, uh, have breached and owned and compromised, taking that back from them uh, and giving it back to organizations. And so that's what I'm most passionate about. You, know, you talk about infrastructure and that, you know, the definition of that has been evolving, particularly because of COVID. Uh, a lot of people sent home to work. So suddenly our infrastructure, which might have used to have included people just coming into the office and working off their desktops. Now it's working off a, a Windows 95 machine that they're sharing with their 14 year old daughter. And that has a big impact on overall infrastructure. So, so Rick, let's, I want to focus on your know, remote working um, you know, right now. And, um, and, and I, I want you to talk to me, I want you to scare me about all of the security threats, what, what we need to be aware of as our employees are not only working from home, but as clearly working from home and working from anywhere is, is going to be a, you know, a critical part of, our, of our, our benefits plans going forward. This is going to be you know, long-term lasting from COVID. Um, tell, tell me about what we should be scared about from a security perspective. Yeah, look, I, I think one of the things is um, when you look at home network technologies, right, and uh, that commercial space. So your typical, you know, home uh, Wi-Fi that we put in, um, you know, the the Internet of Thing devices, whether it's a toothbrush, whether it's a TV, whether it's an Alexa home, whatever those cases may be, have massively expanded what we refer to as the threat surface, right? And so that threat surface is really the areas that the attackers um, use to actually get to the things that they want to. And so in most cases, look, they want an ROI, they want a ransom corporate systems or a home system that you need to access corporate devices, or um, they're gonna do it for intelligence gathering uh, purposes, uh, you know, some other, you know, more nefarious thing. But by and far, I think SMB uh, is really feeling the pain of ransomware. And that's the primary way that these threats are, are manifesting themselves. And so things we didn't think of prior to the pandemic that occurred, um, some people couldn't come back to the office. And so IT teams across the globe had to buy new equipment. They had to allow um, some of their employees to go to Best Buy or, or Fry's or wherever the case may be to procure brand new equipment. That equipment did not have, um, you know, corporate security devices that uh, and, and pools that were put on it. Um, simply, simply put, we're relying on the same home network infrastructure for uh, the purposes of sharing our content and or, you know, doing video streaming with our family that we do for businesses. So even the idea that we're not digitally distancing our networks, meaning um, I don't have two networks to do work from and then uh, to do all of the, the things that I might be a little riskier in uh, from a human perspective, right? Like, uh, of course, I want to use social media. Of course, I want to use apps, you know, all of these things. And so I think what it's really done is given the attackers just this huge area to come after organizations. And secondarily, I would say the other thing that happened is a lot of times, um, whether we were using cloud services or had a security team or an IT team, a lot of the tooling was built around protecting, you know, the offices, protecting the physical uh, data centers, but not necessarily at the point of interaction with data, which is what we need to rethink from a security perspective. So it's really about um, having great security and there's solutions out there to do that. 
but it has to be present at where your users are interacting with that data. Um, and so you got to have some strong endpoint security out there to, to help alleviate some of these risks. You know, you mentioned uh, some of the ways that people can get access um, to our networks and, and you briefly mentioned IoT, which means Internet of Things. Uh, you know, I recently wrote in Entrepreneur Magazine um, about a casino uh, that got hacked there and, and data stolen. Uh, the hackers found their way into their database through a thermometer on a fish tank on the casino floor, you know, because all of these. And, and, I, and I just want to kind of reemphasize that, you know, there's, you know, we've got Alexa devices and voice devices in the home. We've got refrigerators that are smart, you know, appliances. We've got the Roombas that are, you know, connecting to the Internet. I mean, I'm assuming that once these devices, all these devices are the Nest, you know, security things, you know, if, if, if a hacker gets access to one of these devices, then they get access to our network and therefore they can get access to our data. Is that is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we refer to that as in the industry is lateral movement, right? But, but I know that's probably a technical term for some of the audience. What do I really mean by that? So uh, look, my background, I actually started off as an, uh, on the offensive side of the house. So breaking into e-commerce companies, subsequent to that, when did that um, for the Department of Defense, Department of Navy and the Marine Corps, um, awesome. But what do we really care about, right? So, so I have a what I refer to as a foothold on a network, and maybe that foothold, that initial point of presence is an IoT device mm -hmm. that, um, simply put, uh, the developers didn't build good enough security into it. Now I'm on a network. Now I want to see what else is on that network. Well, what else can I get to? What are the other things? And so I, I'm going to perform an enormous amount of what I call reconnaissance once I'm actually inside of an environment to figure out how to move around to get to the target that's going to give them uh, the greatest sense of urgency from a ransom perspective or that data that has a high resale value on the dark web. I mean, that's what I care about, right? And so there's a lot of times where attackers aren't actually launching uh, a piece of ransomware or, or a you know nefarious piece of malware, what they're actually doing is learning about how you interact with your computing systems and these accounts that are associated with it, the identities. And so what they truly care about are getting a hold of the identities and misusing those and then moving around to as many things as possible. And so you have highlighted, I think, a, a, key, a key risk there. And, and make no mistake about it. I mean, the way the hackers are doing this nowadays is, is quite complex. I mean, this is not some guy like Mr. Robot just, you know, getting, you know, access, which is a great show, by the way, but getting access to different, you know, and spending time on it. They have bots and they have artificial intelligence and they have, you know, automation that's going on, I'm assuming, that's where they can do this to hundreds or thousands of devices at any given time, following scripts and algorithms that are looking for, you know, those weaknesses, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and generally speaking, what I talk about is the business behind cybercrime when it comes to this rise in sophistication, the rise in innovation. Um, and so you have the dynamics of nation states uh, competing for cyber warfare and building munitions. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about what the cyber criminals have done, because I think that's a, a larger impact to small and medium businesses. Um, starting around 2016, they built massive amount of infrastructures to do what we refer to as ransomware as a service. And when you think about cloud services from a, a CEO, a small business perspective, you need email. You need some way to communicate with your customers. You need a website. You're going to go pay Microsoft, Amazon, you know, Google VMware, someone to do that. Right. Well, conversely, on the, often, on the bad guy side of the house, they're doing the same thing. And so 
It's not about actually knowing how to write malware anymore. It's not about knowing a specific technique, tactic, and procedure or writing a zero day. What it's about is having some, some version of cryptocurrency, going on to dark web forums, engaging with someone who has a cloud service to do extortion at scale or um, access mining or credential harvesting, whatever the case may be. Um, and then I can commit that across a broad, massive set uh, hundreds of thousands of devices, which is why you see some of these numbers go that big. So I think the important thing for the audience uh, to remember is it runs like a business, just like your business. They have quality insurance. They have metrics so that they can advertise. They have affiliate programs and partner programs. Um, and it's gotten fairly pervasive. And it's, oh, by the way, now a $1.5 trillion market. And it's proposed that it's looking like by 2025, it's going to be a $10 trillion cyber crime uh, economy, which means, hey, we got to stop paying some ransoms and we've got to do better on, on defense to help, you know, bust that economy up. You know, you mentioned uh, very briefly about crypto, and I do want to get into some of your advice how to protect ourselves, but just to also offer another warning, uh, people like to talk about like data being hacked and ransomware and all of that, but is there not a rise, you know, a, a growing trend as, as cryptocurrencies become that much more popular, uh, where a lot of these, uh, the hackers want to, want to, um, you know, kidnap a lot of computers as it is. So to help get use that computing power to mine cryptocurrency. So even though your data might not necessarily being hacked, um, your 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 device is being compromised because it's being. Can you explain that a little bit? Do you agree? And do you, can you explain that? Yes. Yeah, we absolutely agree. Uh, we refer to that phenomenon as crypto jacking. So essentially, um, in a, 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 some malicious actor out there um, gets a foothold on a system. It could be a Windows system, could be Mac, could be Linux, doesn't actually matter. Um, we've seen it on mobile devices as well. Uh, so what do they want to do? Uh, they want to mine crypto. So they want to make it, not steal it, right? So you get a higher ROI if you can make it, uh, especially when um, you know you have these rising uh, numbers when it's associated with crypto, right? So largely, um, Bitcoin, I think, gets the, the, the by far media market share. Um, but there's some other currencies out there, Monero specifically, uh, that's used generally when it comes to crypto mining, um, because you can actually do it on normal Intel processors and not, you know, some custom thing, right? All, all that being said, look, the, the adversary, once they have a, a foothold on your system, they're going to use that for a number of different things. They'll use it to launch attacks against your partners, against other entities. They'll use it as part of a zombie bot network to do, you know, nefarious things like distributed dollar service. And then, of course, they're going to monetize it through crypto jacking. Uh, the important thing to, to know uh, with cryptocurrencies is that there are nation states active in this game today that are using this as a means to bypass sanctions that have been levied against them. And so they're actually paying for some of their, you know, more nefarious programs by doing cybercrime, uh, which, again, uh, has caused, you know, this massive uh, increase in the amount that's occurring across the globe. Okay. Um... So, we, so we've established all the different types of threats that are out there, at least some of the more significant ones. Um, we are under threat. Our data can be compromised. Um, our computers, our devices can be compromised. All of this has been exacerbated because so many people are working from home. So let's talk about um, what some of the stuff you know, that we can do. So I'm going to throw out you know, some things to you one at a time and just get your point of view on it, okay? For starters, um, someone has told me, uh, and this is right up you know, VMware's alley, but 
um, like Gene, you should absolutely have a VPN, a virtual private network, uh, not only on the devices in your home, but when you go traveling around, uh, a VPN is, what, none of these, by the way, are a silver bullet, right? You know, I mean, you, you're going to provide 100% security, but what are your thoughts? First of all, can you, do you agree? What are your thoughts on a VPN? What is a VPN? Yeah, so VPN, simply put, is a virtual private network. Essentially, it's a technology uh, that, that attempts to keep the data as it traverses various networks. In this case, let's say uh, you're going to a website to enter a password on that website. Well, there's a whole chain uh, and a whole bunch of infrastructure that exists between you and that server you're entering your password. So the virtual uh, private network you know, encrypts that traffic so that um, attackers can't sit in the middle of that transaction and do something, which we refer to as man in the middle. It was one of my specialties uh, back in the day uh, and sniff those passwords and sniff that traffic. So, so I would say it's good for privacy um, along with security. However, um, we've also seen to your earlier point, we've also seen VPNs get leveraged nefariously because they're in configured wrong or they don't have proper uh, monitoring over those. And so what you've seen the industry do to address that is um, application writers are pushing that layer of security down into the applications. And so there's a number of apps today, there's a number of solutions that provide um, VPNs inherently to it uh, to protect against that. But as a general rule, if you're a small business owner, go get a VPN, make sure that you're not just attaching to public Wi-Fi. They are owned in airports. Um, and when we refer to something as being owned, it's not the people that bought it, it's the attackers uh, that currently have ownership of that infrastructure. And yeah, uh, we see it all the time. It is definitely one of my goals for this summer is we're going to equip uh, the people in my company all with VPN. I mean, we you can subscribe to service if you Google VPN software. Sure. There's plenty you can subscribe to. They're relatively inexpensive. Um, and I think the other bonus is I can start watching some of my favorite shows on the BBC. Uh, yes. You won't know where I'm coming from. So, but don't tell anybody that. Okay. So that's your thoughts on VPN. Um, upgrades. I, I've had IT specialists, security people tell me, like Gene, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do, but one of the most important thing you, you have to be doing is upgrading your, your device's operating system, as annoying as it is. And that should be across the board, all of your employees, wherever they are. Uh, give me your thoughts on upgrading operating systems. One of the number one, so, so you forget ransomware, forget you know, phishing, we hear all this stuff. Uh, when, you, when you go all the way back to the root causes, like you know, what happened? In most of the cases, uh, the fundamentals of security, so, so patching is one of those fundamentals, um, system updates is missing. Now, the larger you get as an enterprise, uh, the, the, the more scrutiny and quality assurance you're gonna put over this process. Right. That being said, if you have a Windows box today, if you have a laptop, um, if you're running a Surface device, if you're running an iPad, and I've, turn on automatic updates and let them run, and here's why. Um, as an IT security professional, as an IT professional, I would rather troubleshoot a path that, that I put on a system or an update that I put on a system where it breaks the system than I would having a malicious actor take advantage of that and running around because the level of effort is, is much higher. And Microsoft has been doing a, a pretty wonderful job with their updates along with Apple. Um, you know, so I, I, I'll leave like SQL databases and stuff out of this discussion, but strictly speaking to endpoints, turn it on get them updated as fast as possible. Um, the manufacturers are working as hard as they can uh, when issues are identified to get them out there. Uh, and I can't actually remember the last time my Windows box broke because I did an yeah. update to it. So just yeah. get just get it done. 
there was a time when uh, when Microsoft updates was a, an enormous pain. A mess. Yeah, it was a mess. And and you're right that that they they've definitely gotten much much better at doing that. What about though if you've got you know, you've got employees working from home? That's what the conversation is about. Is there anything that you can recommend? You know, for me to make sure that my employees are are running the most recent versions of Windows or iOS, short of me knocking on their door and inspecting what they have. Sure. And look, there's a number of solutions. Uh, VMware has some, right? So, I, you know, I, I'm hesitant to, you know, to give you a ringing endorsement on one particular product. That okay. being said, um, yes, we're here to help the the IT community and the the IT security community. Um, has in fact had solutions for a number of years to help in, enforce things like system updates to make sure that the security controls over that device are good. And then of course, to, to um, record activity and ensure that you know the, uh, the cyber criminals aren't on there doing something as well, right? And so my, my big message I think for small and medium businesses is, um, look, security is not a zero investment uh, game. It's just not. It is going to take some investment. I think if you frame it and think about it in terms of safety, you know, you're really providing a safe environment for your employees, for your customers, for your partners. Um, you're going to build some money in to do that. And then you're going to have to be smart as a small and medium business. And one of those areas I think you can get smart on is, is through partnerships. Now, what's happened over the last five or six years is um, these high-end security providers where it used to be really costly to bring in a team to look at your data and or provide you know, security services as the economy of scale has dropped on that. And so there's a number of very reasonable, very affordable uh, partners and solutions out there um, that will help you with these challenges. And then, of course, ensure that all you can all you need to be focused on is building your business and growing it. You know, let the professionals come in, let them help you, let them give you some good advice. And uh, and then I would just say, listen to your partners. If you're going to partner with someone, really listen to them. Um, we're, here, we're, again, here to help. Yeah, you know, it, you mentioned about the professionals and, and people like th that specialize in this stuff. And, and you talk about spending money. I mean, I think another big area is, is training for your people as well. Um, and and every, every study that I read about this, Rick, is like, you know, it, it's user error. Somebody clicked on a wrong link, you know, they went to, because we're dopes, we don't know what we're looking at. We're, you know, we're going to some phishing website or we respond to an email that's, you know, we think it's from the CEO of the company, but it's not. So um, talk to me a little bit about your advice on training. Yeah, so I, I believe in training, but I think it's got to be effective. Um, you know, I also operate on the premise that um, people are going to click. Like, I mean, yeah. if you look at any of the apps on your phone, we're, we, we train our, new, our next generation to click on things, right? So I do think, um, security and IT has a responsibility with that, right? To meet the, the user at the point of interaction with the data. That being said, um, I think security training has changed over the pandemic. So it was fairly typical. And some people on the phone may have went through, you know, courses where, um, hey, this is a phishing link. But what's happened due to the pandemic is we've blended our home and work lives. Hmm. And so, um, even when I used to go into an office, I would know I had a badge, I had the badge in, I was aware of the policies, I was aware of there was cameras, I was aware of, you know, so my behavior would change as a result of that, because I would remember that I went through training and, you know, hey, I can't just uh, leave social security numbers printed out on a printer, right? right. Um, so, so this idea that like we blended our home lives with work lives, I think does need us to revamp how we're doing education. And, the, and then secondarily, I, I, I would say, um, 
I think the idea that we can just push out like uh, a little video training and expect user behavior to change uh, is a little incorrect. And so, um, again, what we have to be in the business of is, is positive uh, behavioral changes. And then there's a number of ways to do that. Um, but step one is you have to have security and compliance training. Right. Um, and then you just have to drive to make it effective. So, uh, look, if you have a learning and development department, awesome. Work with them because they understand uh, how, how people learn. Uh, so it's, we're not always, as security professionals, the smartest people about that. Um, but I think if we pay attention and ask the right questions, we, we can get to a better spot with education and awareness. Okay, two more quick questions for you, then I'll let you go. Um, number one is um, uh, passwords and multi-factor authentication. I, you know, first of all, I, you know, I just started using a password vault recently, keep it's called and, uh, it's excellent. Um, and so I'm advising everybody in my company to do the same, um, multi-factor authentication, you know, for those of you guys, most people know about it already. That's, you know, you log in as a password, you get a text sent back to you, you know, usually your phone and, uh, you respond with it, with a, I, Again, I you know I was listening to like a Reply All podcast recently, an episode how telling, and it, they would talk about how easily even multi-factor authentication can be, you know, you can get around it so easily to spoof a cell phone. What are your thoughts on password security so, and MFA? So they're not wrong, right? When, right, and I say this all the time. Um, MFA is not a silver bullet. I think yeah. you mentioned uh, other things that we rec. You know, um, SIM cloning is a legit risk that happens, uh, and Generally speaking, that has to be a targeted attack. So I talked about those macroeconomics earlier, this 1.5 trillion head towards the $10 trillion margin. Well, why? Because the, the attackers get to automate all the stuff that they do. Um, they are taking manual steps uh, and interacting with system ones once they're on there, but like the defensive evasion pieces, uh, all of the stuff that they do to re like that's all automated. And so there's no cost to them. Right. Um, MFA specifically goes after one of the things they care about the most. So I mentioned these earlier. One is I want to move around and, and spread as far as possible. The second one is I want your identity. I want your credentials. Well, the methods that the attackers use to pull it off, um, honestly, don't change very often. And they're pretty rudimentary. And uh, in my humble opinion, like we should have just defeated those already. So right. MFA squarely sits at this idea that an attacker is going to have to take some manual action. They're going to have to work harder to go after your credentials versus going after um, one of your competitors or someone else. And here's what we know about attackers. They are lazy. Like, yes, they will, you know, especially if they're a nation state, they'll spend millions of dollars to go after you. But the most of the cyber criminals are lazy and they want an ROI, return on investment, as fast as possible on that attack. If you can, if you can stop their credential harvesting, the good, like the chances of them moving on are very high. Yeah. So they're going to move from you as a target to someone else. And, and MFA represents, I think, a great way that all of us can instantly raise the bar against these attackers um, and really help. So it's it's a top recommendation for me right now. And it does, again, has to be implemented well, and it doesn't come as a silver bullet, but let's at least make them have to go swap my, like if they, if I make them have to go do a, 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 a SIM cloning on my phone, I consider that a win because I've made them work that much harder. <laughs> yeah, it's fair enough. I mean, they're looking for the low-hanging fruit, and and obviously, the harder that you make it for them, it's not you know, it's not impossible, but they're they're more right. likely to move on. Final topic, and it only we've had this whole conversation, Rick. Right? We've talked about putting in a VPN, upgrading your operating system, multi-factor authentication, having a password a vault for your passwords with complex passwords. Is what I do, getting training for your people that. 
and, and I hear this you know, from other security people, I hear less and less about security software. I mean, there was the day where you would be like, you just get Norton, 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 or you get McAfee, and then it runs in the background and you're secure. And I mean, there's still a need for that, right? But it just seems like it's, it's falling down the priority list. And I don't know if that's just me or not. Oh, um, so that's interesting. I would make the argument, um, security is, is becoming intrinsic to technology as it's delivered, right? right? And so it's a big part of what VMware is working on. It's a big part of what Microsoft's working on. So Microsoft's done, I think some amazing, yeah, Apple has done some amazing work when it comes to a lot of the methods that these attackers use to breach the data, right? So they, they're going to continue from an operating system, thinning that out, making it much more difficult. Uh, but no, you still need um, what we refer to as layered security or defense in depth. Um, okay. I actually think to your to your point about, well, I had Norton or you know this one piece. Of, I think that that was missold to the public. Um, it's it's you know saying that I only need one security tool. Um, I'm just going to tell you if anybody tells you that they're probably they're, they're probably selling you snake oil. Um, you will need multiple security tools in a stack, but that's not to say that you need to massively increase your complexity, right? Because here's what we see. Cloud vendors are starting to bake in a lot of these security technologies into the cloud. So if I'm an Amazon customer, um, an AWS customer, I, I get to take advantage of a bunch of things they're already doing, which is great, which means my team doesn't necessarily have to perform those functions, but they do have to audit. They do have to provide oversight and, and, and ensure that contractually my cloud providers are doing that. So, so I think it's just a, another area where um, we're starting to consolidate security into our technology stacks, and we're we're ensuring that our vendors are baking that in, which yeah, is good. good I think it's a good move. It's good to know that at least the vendors. And I think that's ultimately where we're going to go, particularly for small businesses. I mean, if you've got QuickBooks, you've got Dynamics, you've got Zoho. You don't you want you want to rely on those vendors to, to be the ones that are providing. Yeah, and they have a number of cool controls that they're doing, right? And say, so, you know, it's not to say that an attacker couldn't find something tomorrow, right? But right. they've got a team. They they have. Well, they have resources. Uh, bounty programs, yeah. 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 Makes sense. Rick McElroy is the principal cybersecurity strategist at VMware. He can be reached at InfoSecRick, I-N-F-O-S-E-C-R-I-C-K. Rick, great conversation. Thank you so much for uh, all this information. I'd like to have you back. I have, I have more questions to ask you. Uh, we have a limited amount of time, but yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, guys, my name is G. Marks. If you need more help, advice, tips uh, for running your business, a uh, business, please visit us at paychecks.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Thanks very much for joining us this time. We look forward to seeing you again on our next upcoming episode. Take care. This podcast is property of Paychecks Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.